In fact, this framework has been shown to accelerate sales, reduce the cost of customer acquisition, increase win rate, and drive overall company valuation. In fact, it was so innovative, it was featured last month in an article in the Harvard Business Review. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenow. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the B2B MX podcast. We hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving holiday and were able to take a break from the hustle and bustle to be with friends and family and enjoy some yummy food. We're excited to be back with another replay from our B2B sales and marketing exchange today. Yeah, it is so great to be back. Although, to be completely honest, I'm still in a little bit of a mashed potato stuffing coma, but that doesn't stop me from looking forward to today's replay. Today, we're replaying Neil Barron, his session from B2B SMX, which was titled, Don't Let Your Segmentation and Personas Hurt You. Now, this session was a hit for our audience, and Neil contributes his insights for the Harvard Business Review, and this session dives deep into his latest article, Let the Urgency of Your Customer's Needs Guide Your Sales Strategy. Yeah, really, really fancy man Mr. Neil Barron is writing for the Harvard Business Review. So I knew he was going to really share some real tactical insights and case studies even during his session. So I had a feeling it was going to be a hit, but I was really surprised at what takeaways people got from it. It's really, really interesting. Of course, our audience loved the session and really Neil kind of just led the session with a new approach based on urgency of needs that leads to shorter sales cycles, less discounting, and higher win rates. Neil, like I said, even spotlighted a really unique case study that really showcased how this approach led to increased revenue and valuation for a B2B SaaS company. So with that, sit back, relax, listen in, maybe grab a notebook to take some notes, but you could always re-listen later. We're going to roll that tape in three, two, one. So as B2B marketers, we spend a ton of time, energy, and money segmenting our market. We group our customers into industry. We group them by size. We group them by geography. We look at personas at tremendous detail. You know, we know what color hair they have. We know what color cars they drive. We even know how they like their eggs. However, unfortunately, this traditional approach to segmentation and persona development isn't really moving the needle for us. And instead, it may be doing more harm than good. So all our effort really is for naught. You're in the right place if you feel that your segmentation, despite all your effort, isn't giving you a competitive edge. You're using the same data, the same research reports, the same analysts as everybody else. Your segmentation just isn't really doing anything for you. At the same time, your salespeople are basically running amok. They sell to whoever they know. They sell to everybody they may be, may be able to take a meeting. 
and instead, instead of driving revenues, they end up with fewer sales or no sales. They're just not making their number. You have marketing programs. You invest in sales tools. You know, our friends at Gartner and Forrester talk about how 70% of all sales tools end up either in the virtual trash or the physical, tra physical trash can. They're just not being used. And in the ultimate symptom of dysfunction in your segmentation is your salespeople, because they're calling on the wrong people, they're trying to sell people who really may not have an urgent need for your products, they discount too much. Anybody, people can relate to this here? I know I could back in the day. And so I want to share with you, I was in your shoes. Before I started my consulting firm back in 2009, I had a number of B2B marketing jobs. And my first experience after business school was with one of the world's largest tech companies. They were dominant here in greater Boston for many years. And I was working in the manufacturing industry group. And I would ask my teammates, all who had much more experience than me, who do we sell to? And they would sell to, and they look at me a little bit askew, saying, well, we sell to automotive. We sell the aerospace. We sell the chemical. Well, that's all well and good, but who in aerospace? Who in chemical? Who in automotive? The automotive industry is massive. There's thousands of companies that are either OEMs, original equipment manufacturers, suppliers in the auto industry. Who do you call on? So my boss at the time said, that's a really good question. I think we should get more granular. And he said, we'll just tell the salespeople to count the number of cars in the parking lot. And if there's more than 300, that's a good prospect. And if there's less than 300, they should just keep on driving. But suppose that the plant is highly automated, and yet they still have a need for what we're selling. So even when we try to come up with the right metrics, we tried to get more granular, we came up with stuff that really didn't matter. So I can feel your pain when you start thinking about segmentation and customer selection. So I've consulted to dozens and dozens of B2B companies, spent a lot of time in the world of SaaS like many of you, and we love using simple analogies to explain complex B2B concepts. So this is how segmentation in B2B companies often happens. So for the metaphor we're going to use is we're in the seafood business. Specifically, we put tuna into cans. We are really, really, really good at catching tuna, carving up tuna, putting it into cans, and selling those cans to retailers, grocery stores, and the like. That's everything we do. Our roadmap is based on how do we improve that process. Our innovation is all about how do we cut up tuna better. 
are what kinds of new types of tuner can we offer? What, what different can size? We are seven by 24 tuna. Our salespeople are very aggressive. They're very good. They've been to all the best B2B sales training out there. And at the same time, they have a number to make. And they're measured on bringing in revenue. So they go out fishing or whatever it is with the nets, and they capture a whale. And they bring back a whale and put it on our loading dock. Salespeople now have brought in the biggest deal in the company's history. They're all going nuts. They're all going to President's Club in Hawaii in January, every single one of them, because the deal is so big and so huge. However, the services organization, even the marketing team, the delivery organization, the engineering, the product groups are all saying, what the heck? What do we do with this? You know, how do we cut up this tuna, I mean this whale? Is there even a market for whale oil? Because this isn't the 1880s anymore. You know, we have electric lights. We don't need whale oil anymore. Is it even legal to have a whale on our dock? Are they an endangered species? So you got the salespeople going nuts. You got the whale on your dock, the rest of the organization. How did this happen? Well, a key reason is we didn't give the salespeople enough guardrails. We told them, like, my, like the company I worked with right out of business school, go out there and catch something from the sea. Sell to the auto group. Sell to the aerospace group. And this happens all the time. You know, I would ask for a show of hands, but we're pressed for time. Don't want to take that. But I see a lot of heads nodding, saying, yep, this happens in our company. So there's a better way. We're going to share with you a framework for how to address this. In fact, this framework has been shown to accelerate sales, reduce the cost of customer acquisition, increase win rate, and drive overall company valuation. In fact, it was so innovative, it was featured last month in an article in the Harvard Business Review. So we're going to get into that in a second. But first, to introduce the concept, another common analogy. Suppose you're selling fire extinguishers door to door. Okay? And you come across, you walk through an affluent neighborhood, and you see two houses, two houses right next to each other. And one house is white, one house has eaves, one house has shutters, the other doesn't. In one house, you know, the parents are a little bit older. And one parents, the parents are a little bit taller. The father is wearing a dark blue shirt and one, a light blue shirt. And we can go on and on and on. But which house do you call on first if you're trying to make your number selling fire extinguishers? It's really hard to tell. And this is the position we're putting our salespeople in. We're going out there and sell, sell fire extinguishers in maybe we'll tell them affluent neighborhoods but we're not really giving them much of a direction. So we're only going to change one characteristic, one thing in this scene, and namely, 
the house on the right has smoke coming out of one of the windows. Now, this is an easy softball layup question. Which house was more likely to buy your fire extinguisher? The one on the right with the smoke, the one on the left without the smoke. Okay, easy question, I'll tell you the answer. It's the one on the right with the smoke. Okay, how, how do we know, are they gonna negotiate on price? No, are they gonna to go to a buying committee to buy your fire extinguishers and evaluate the best options? Are they gonna put out an RFP? Hell no, they're, they're not gonna ask for a discount. Your sole job is to get them the fire extinguisher as quickly as possible. So in this situation here, do we know the equivalent in our customer base of having a house on fire or smoke coming out of the window? What is it? Do we know? Because what happens is I know several of you work in like content marketing. Without this information, it's real hard to develop effective demand generation or inbound marketing campaigns. Yet often most companies don't have this, but yet they can tell you which color shirt the father wears. At the same time, we can look at even a little bit more granular level because the house on the left, they've just watched their neighbor's house go up and smoke. They are probably spooked. Maybe their urgency to make a purchase decision around fire extinguishers, at least consider getting a fire extinguisher, has gone way up. And maybe your job as content marketing folks, B2B marketing folks, uh, is to understand what are those trigger events, such as seeing your neighbor go up in smoke. Do we even know what those trigger events are that cause the customer to buy and buy quicker. So let's move on now and talk about a case study uh, that was from a company that I worked with a few years back. And the, the title of this section is Targeting a New Market Using Urgency of Needs Based Segmentation. But the real title should be how marketing people got promoted, and in some cases, got very, very rich. The company is Dyne. They are part of the internet performance category of software as a service companies. Uh, they're based up in New Hampshire. And I, I was brought in to work with them because they acquired this company, Renesis. Renesis had really cool technology and many of you have been part of companies that bought really cool tech companies with really cool technology because they thought it would strengthen their transition from an internet performance company to an internet intelligence company. At the same time, Renesis was sold exclusively to large federal agencies like the Department of Defense, and the State Department, among other international large agencies, Dine felt there was an opportunity to sell it into the commercial space. So I was brought in to help figure out 
how do they make the go-to-market shift from the federal space into the commercial space. And not surprisingly, the Renesis team resisted the change in go-to-market. The compound things, the Dyne team, the Dyne sales team, had no idea what to do with Renesis either. And so we had one part of the business was resisting a change. The other was throwing up his hands and saying, we don't know what to do. So the management at the time, before I got involved, said, let's just pitch it and see who buys it. Let's create a whole bunch of messaging and see what happens. Has this ever happened to you? It happened to me a lot uh, over the years. Just pitch it was the way to go, and we'll see what happens. And maybe you bring in a whale, and you disrupt everything. But uh, it was just pitch it. So we proposed a better way. And as, as I mentioned, uh, this was featured in Harvard Business Review. The title of the article is Let the Urgency of Your Customer's Needs Guide Your Sales Strategy. Uh, if you want, I'll post my contact information at the end. Send me a text, send me an email, and I'll get you a free copy uh, of the article. It really goes in a lot more detail in terms of how to apply this approach than we can get into in a 30-minute conversation. So here is the essence of the framework right here. Instead of looking at segmentation by industry size, instead of looking at segmentation by geography, or plant size, or company size, or age of the CEO, whether the CEO is right-handed or left-handed. Um, and by the way, there's a lot more to this. You know, I'll post my contact information uh, at the end. Send me a text, send me an email. I'll make sure you get uh, the complete approach here. This is the actual slide we used at Dyne. This is the actual slide that drove the valuation to significant, or as the CFO said, unthinkable heights here. And we looked at four categories of need. You know, the first category of need, and I won't get into all the internet performance stuff here and the language here, but just want to show you how it's used is we looked at urgent need. That's the house is on fire. And that's your value proposition when you're selling to the house on fire is very clear. We'll put out the fire. But the impact on your operations organization, you got to make sure the fire extinguisher is there. Marketing, how do we drive content that finds people when their house is on fire and we get them right at that instant? Now, of course, you're not selling fire extinguishers, but you're selling the equivalents to B2B customers. Knowing what that equivalent of house on fire is is absolutely critical. Second option is, well, there's a non-urgent need. Well, you know, we may have kids playing with matches in the corner. We may have oily rags. We may have our drapes blowing near our gas stove. but we don't have a fire just yet. But at some point, their non-urgent need will become a need, an urgent need. You want to be prepared. Marketing is different. Your content marketing is different. 
How do you stay in touch with these people? How are you top of mind when they are exactly at the time when they do have that need? Maybe when the smoke just starts emerging out of one of the rooms. Maybe when the kids strike some match and they're saying like, holy, I was going to say holy shit, but I won't say that. Holy too bad uh, at that point. You know, you want to be there. And, but yet your salespeople have a different role. Now your salespeople can have, to have a strategic choice to make. One is you can convince them that their need is more urgent than it may seem. And therefore, it's an urgent need. And they should fall into the category on the left. Or you just say, OK, got it, Mr. or Ms. Customer. You're not ready to buy now. Hey, content marketing folks, pay attention to these folks. Keep them on our nurture list, because someday I know they're going to have a need, and we want to be top of mind. So this helps drive strategic decisions. There's also no need. Well, maybe they live in a brick house. Maybe they don't have a furnace. They don't have a stove. They only do takeout. So they don't have a need. Once again, strategic decision to make. Do you tell the salespeople to convince them they really do have a need? Or do you just say, hey, it's not worth fighting. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. We're not going to fight for this business. See ya. We're going to keep walking. And once again, your value proposition is different. Your messaging is different. Uh, the types of markham and content marketing that you do is different. And the fourth category is the need is perceived to be already met. They may have a sprinkler system in place. OK, great. Do you just say, well, congratulations, you have a sprinkler system, and you just walk? Or do you convince them, and is sales trained to have the conversation that, yeah, you may have a sprinkler system, but if you do, the sprinkler system goes off, it will do $20,000 worth of water damage. You'll have to replace your whole kitchen. It'll be a mess. And maybe you should have a fire extinguisher to augment that sprinkler system. Maybe looking at it as a, from a product development perspective, Maybe you should be partnering with a sprinkler company to have your fire extinguishers embedded into the sprinkler system. That way, the fire extinguisher will go off before the sprinkler system. It's a win for the sprinkler company. They have value add. Win for the customer, and it's a win for you. Once again, this becomes a very, very, very rich framework for thinking about not just your content, but your overall business strategy, your overall go-to-market strategy. And so the urgency of needs drives a number of elements of your B2B go-to-market. You know, for each category, you have to clearly identify. Yeah, you know, they have their house on fire. OK, that's clear. That's a characteristic. Once again, it has nothing to do with the age of the parents, the number of kids in the house, how far the property is set back from the street. Nothing about that, how they like their eggs. But instead, you want to look at what are these characteristics? What strategic actions do you take? Do you fight for the business? Do you train the salespeople to say, ha, huh, they live in brick houses, but when you're calling on brick houses, these are the messages. 
This is the collateral that you have. These are the case story studies. Oh, by the way, are you aware that every year 300 brick houses go up in flames? I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me. Well, maybe I should. Hey, I thought I was safe, but gee, if 300 brick houses every year go up in smoke, that requires getting the data, training your salespeople how to use the data, but it can be highly effective. Once again, all these houses may, have, may be the same price tag on Zillow and in the same affluent neighborhood, but once again, their needs would be very different in how you look at it. The customer experience you deliver, the value proposition. If you're talking to someone with a sprinkler system, it's a very different value proposition. Hey, we can keep your kitchen from being ruined versus we can keep your house from burning down because there's smoke in the living room is totally, totally different value propositions. Most marketing organizations don't get granular enough. And similarly, you want to look at you know, what you're offering. Uh, what's the call to action? You go through all of these and for each one of those categories, and by the way, the article lists questions that you should be asking yourself at each one of these stages here, and of course the sales tools. If you're selling against a sprinkler system, you need different sales tools, different data, maybe different analyst reports that you want to share, that if you're sharing with somebody who just saw their neighbor's house go up in flames. So we took this approach. We used it to get buy-in for this new strategy within Dyne. And once again, there was huge short-term impact. They had a framework now, this urgency of needs framework, that they could apply not just to the Renesis product, but across all their products. They also won dozens, you know, they were so concerned about making the transition from federal into commercial, they won business, significant business, with companies we've all heard of, like IBM, like uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, among others. New York Times became a customer. Etsy became a customer. And so household names now signed up for this new bundled services because we were much more effective at selling it and recognizing the category of needs here. And there was also a long-term strategic impact. Uh, it helped resi really helped position Dyne, moving them away from, I don't want to get too technical here, from being an internet performance company, worrying about DNS technology, I won't get into that unless you really want to talk to at the bar, uh, or, and to a becoming an internet intelligence company, helping companies like the New York Times see where there's latency, slowing down of their network and what they could be doing about it. Very powerful tool. And they also attracted 10 different suitors who wanted to buy the company. It resulted in a brilliant acquisition by Oracle. This is one of Oracle's most successful acquisitions. Dime became the foundation for Oracle's cloud infrastructure group. And so it really has generated tens and hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue for Oracle 
brilliant move by the team there, and they also did a great job of integrating the team. And a key reason for that is because of the work we were doing around repositioning, uh, several dive executives, and they're still there you know, five, six years later, became leaders in the Oracle Cloud Infrastructure Group. In fact, a couple, you know, my sponsor who brought me in originally became an EVP at Oracle. He's now retired. He's teaching. Uh, he drives, I won't tell you the kind of car he drives, but he's done very, very well. So this type of approach can have significant impact, not only businesses, but on people's careers. And once again, a number of the people that were involved in this original Renesis project got promoted. So uh, when I go out, if I had some time with your teams, some of the things I would tell them is focus on the highest value segment. Really understand which of four of those categories represents the highest value to you and your business. Uh, we have another framework that I don't have time to get into that talks about uh, how you calculate and how you estimate and how you articulate highest value segments. And on the other hand, it's real easy to take the BOBSAT approach. I don't know how many of you know what BOBSAT stands for, but it's a typical approach for market segmentation. It stands for a bunch of people sitting around a table. And that's a very internal focus. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of the work by Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. He's a Nobel Prize winner psychologist uh, who really understood that we have cognitive biases. It makes it very difficult because of confirmation bias, status quo bias, and other biases to really do this effectively, sometimes without an outside prod or an outside perspective. And once again, I want to summarize what we said at the beginning, your typical customer buyer personas you know, really can mislead, can certainly do you more harm than good, give you a false sense of security. Once again, that's my contact information. Geico says, give, me, give us 15 minutes. We'll save you 15% on auto insurance. I have a better offer. Give me 15 minutes, no sales, just a meaty conversation, and I am highly confident I can give you, in those 15 minutes, two or three, three actionable insights that will help make your segmentation even more effective. And so text me if you want to get 15 minutes on my calendar. You can text me right now. You can send me an email. Uh, I'll be at the cocktail reception as well. And finally, uh, I formed a group for senior product leaders, VPs, directors of product marketing, marketing or product management. We meet monthly. If you're familiar with the Pragmatic Institute, uh, I, they're a co-sponsor of this group here. Uh, so how many of you here are VPs or directors or CMO types? Great. Uh, we should talk afterwards. We don't charge for this group. We meet monthly the third Wednesday. It's all virtual. We have between 20 and 30 of your peers on average from world-class companies from Cummins Engine to Oracle, Microsoft, IBM, all represented. Uh, and so once again, we do require you to apply. We want to make sure you're, you're a good fit. And 
you know, uh, you're a good fit and we're a good fit for you. You know, any questions, contact me. Here's a QR code if you want to find out more about the Product Leadership Council. Once again, it's by invitation only, by acceptance only. And um, any questions? Uh, but I'll be around here. I'll be at the reception. And once again, text me, email me. Love to continue the conversation. All right, that's it from Neil today. Big shout out again to Neil Barron for joining us at B2B SMX and delivering this awesome presentation. It's really interesting to learn how sometimes current methods, especially ones used to segment markets and identify target customers, often don't optimize growth. And really kind of all it takes is to rewrite the rule book a little bit. Definitely. And if you enjoyed this session, be sure to check out Neil's article on Harvard Business Review, which we will link in our show notes for you. Thank you so much for joining us today, folks. Make sure to connect with us on Twitter and LinkedIn to share your feedback and tell us who else you want to hear from on the podcast. And of course, don't forget that our B2B Marketing Exchange is coming back to Scottsdale, Arizona in February. Registration is open and all of the information can be found via the link in our show notes. So be sure to check it out. All right, that's a wrap on us. Have a great rest of your week, everyone, and take care.